0: You can't just look at dashboards and claim that you understand people. It's not how it works, right? Um, uh, it's, it's the people, there's some person behind that number. And uh, when you're just looking at the number, you don't understand where that person came from. What was driving that motivation? What was the motivation? What was the intent? What was the goal? right? All of those get lost in, in your dashboards. Uh, so qualitative is super, super important part of that, you know, balance, keeping the balance. Um, so qualitative and quantitative data, everything coming together in one place is a super, I think that's that's the number one thing.
1: Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts
2: themselves in thought provoking conversations. So, hi everyone, I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing, and today we're very excited to have Kosambi Manjita joining us on the Human Insight Podcast. Kaus is CEO and the co-founder of Mason, an all-in-one platform that helps entrepreneurs automate their Shopify stores. Thanks so much for joining us today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me with you
0: guys. Excited for the for the
2: conversation that we're going to have. Yes, I'm really excited as well. So, your company Mason helps uh, e-commerce store owners run their business 24/7. And for this insights segment, We've asked user testing contributors why they shop online and what some of their pet peeves are with shopping at online small businesses. Let's take a look at what they said and I'll be curious to get your thoughts and reactions. Ooh, <laughs> this'll be interesting. I use Etsy a lot on my smartphone. I know there's a lot of small businesses and like um, sole proprietorships, there you go, that's the word on Etsy. So as far as small businesses go, but I do a lot of like Amazon ordering on my phone as well because it's just convenient just hop on your phone to order what you need.
1: Cove USA um, is a small clothing business that's just now started out out of uh, California and I use TikTok and I found their account and I went to their website and I uh, bought several products from them um, I've done that with other uh, companies one called like Rogue or something like that You know just several different companies that I've you know I found online through links and advertisements I should try to explain the owners that a web page or an app should be intuitive as as intuitive as possible since we're. What are you looking for when shopping online from your smartphone? It's uh, comfortability and it has to be as easy as possible. The biggest pet peeves I have about this is shipping. You know, I want something, you know, that will get to me quick, kind of like an Amazon. You know, Amazon's really quick about getting stuff to you.
0: If I saw personally any item, it will be at least five times reviewed. It will give me more confidence to actually like get it.
1: Especially the reviews. That's probably the biggest thing. Is I want to see that this product, you know, is worth it. You know, isn't just a scam, and that this is not is is a legit official shop, and that it's not just going to rip me off and give me some fake product.
2: It's not like Amazon. You can track everything, and trust it. So, all right. So a couple of things stood out to me. One was about you know their their need to feel like they can trust. Uh, the organization that they're purchasing from. Another thing that I thought was interesting is this notion of social and how that plays into the shopping experience. Um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts and, and what stood out to you.
0: Yeah, I think if you if you listen to uh, each of the you know feedback and comments of users and a lot of Gen Zs too now they're shopping and they're the next big cohort I think segment out there who are who are not just shopping online, but becoming super important in in organizations and as consumers. The interesting thing is that there are elements of trust, of course. There's comparison to, uh, you know, how how shipping in Amazon. And there's, uh, you know, uh, this whole part of whether the website's intuitive. I think someone said something of that sort. How easy can I find the products? And where do I find them? You know, on TikTok or on Instagram or on somewhere else, whatever new social thing comes out there. The interesting thing is that we are all spoiled by the way Amazon, uh you know, has uh, taught us how to shop. We we really think that's the way, like that's the, I think, fundamentals of how people shop. They have nailed it already, right? It's, um you know, starting from how do I find my products? Why do I get attracted to them? How do I take the decision, right? And then post- taking the decision when i'm buying it the whole process of fulfillment or whatever else that happens post the customer uh, you know the customer success part of all of that all these three parts your pre purchase decisions how you find it you know what attracts you when you are buying in the buying funnel you know what are what are the Elements that you're comparing with. How do you take a decision? Trust and, you know, comparisons and all of that. And then post purchase, right? When I'm buying it and post buying it, um, how, how, when do I expect it to come? Are they communicating it with me? How's support? How's refunds? How's, you know, returns? How's exchange? All of that. We are spoiled by the Amazon way of shopping. And it's not that Amazon's just taught us a certain way of shopping. I think they have nailed down the fundamentals of how people think about shopping online right and that's where you start seeing the gap the pet peeves that people are talking about is literally the gap between amazon and all the d2c brands i mean a major part of the d2c brands that are out there right or retailers who are trying to set up their online and direct to consumer presence is that they are they need to be more like amazon but they don't have that amazon infrastructure and that's the interestingly that's the gap in the ecosystem today
2: yeah, it's a it's a really great point when you actually do listen to each of the points people made and what frustrated them the most. To your point, it is sort of um, where those D2C retailers or sort of small businesses don't meet, you know, the same requirements um, that, mm. that Amazon provides. You know, I need to see more reviews. I need to know that it's going to get here fast. I need to know um, that I can trust uh, who I'm purchasing from. I need to know what the return policy Like, those are all things that, to your right, we've been conditioned to shop a certain way. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I think, what is that quote? I've heard it a few times where it's like people, the last best experience someone has is what they compare your experience to. And sort of like, it, yeah. you know, it's not exactly the same in this scenario, but really the reality is that people are comparing non-Amazon purchasing experiences to the Amazon purchasing experience because that's what they've been conditioned to and that's what they like. Um, So uh, let's back up a little bit. I I love your commentary and and the point that you made. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what's top of mind for you these days?
0: Absolutely. I am, um, uh, as you said, I'm Kosambi and uh, everybody calls me Kos. That's uh, what I go by most of the days. I've been um, building products for a while now. Uh, I love the juxtaposition, I would say, of technology and experience. It's, it's kind of like an interesting part, uh, middle ground, where you have, you know, Things that we as consumers, as users, as as small businesses, as large businesses, there are a ton of things that we need every day to be successful. And technology, a lot of times, has the answers to that, right? Uh, everything that we need uh, to solve for, every outcome we need to drive, there is some tech solution out there that can solve that problem for us. But whereas the middle ground is interesting because it's about making super powerful, complex solutions, actually meaningful and usable by people, right? And without that element of things being usable and meaningful and something that actually, it's not just that it's valuable, but I I understand as a user how, how it's valuable and why Right, all of that comes in in that middle ground, I would say, and I love being there where it's not just about solutioning, but also understanding how to make it make things simple, how to make things more easily accessible. Right, so I've I've been doing that for a while. Uh, in the early part of my career, I was in IBM Commerce, um, and uh, you know, building products. Uh, which were a bit more complex in nature and for larger companies like uh, DHL and FedEx and Walmart. And then I moved back to India for a bit. um, Post my uh, B school, I worked at uh, Giants in e-commerce in Asia, um, uh, an Alibaba subsidiary called Paytm, which recently went public. Um, And then at a Walmart uh, subsidiary called Flipkart and Mintra, which was all about, it's pretty much, you know, the answer to, amazon in in india right now um so built out a lot of solutions which hopefully helped uh not just consumers shop better but also business teams within the whole ecosystem um to showcase products better back to uh back to customers so i've been in that space for a bit uh, in e-commerce tech i love shopping myself i think that definitely gives me some bragging rights of why uh, uh why i think uh you know uh, i do have some insights on how to build products that help me people like me shop better and faster and in the in in the recent couple of years um i've been very interested in bringing these you know, complex technologies that larger companies like Walmart or Alibaba or uh, Amazon use and seeing how can the rest of the retail world, the rest of the 99% actually get access to similar technology. And um, a lot of times they can't because it's super complex. It's hard to use. It takes like six months or eight months to implement. And I think our question was how do we simplify it and bring it to everybody else? So that's that's top of mind today is how do we help, uh, you know, ton of retailers who are coming online, who will continue to come online and sell to, uh, you know, millennials and Gen Z's now. And they are all shopping on TikTok and they experience Amazon-like experience when buying from TikTok, right? So how do you, how do you help people do that? I think that's top of mind.
2: Uh, and, you know, you, your company, Mason, is focused on helping owners of Shopify stores be more successful and sort of, in, in sort of using your words, sort of fill, fill the gap right, between um, the way D2C companies traditionally sell online and what they experience is like, and the gap between that and what they experience from bigger retailers that have, to your point, more more infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. So um, can you tell me a bit more about what are the problems that these small business owners face online? Or is there anything that we maybe haven't quite touched on?
0: I think that if you just again zoom out a little bit and just look at it, it's just one problem. There's this like interesting number, right? Ninety-eight out of two people who land on any brand store not on Amazon, right? Usually, ninety-eight out of hundred people just drop off; they don't buy from you. So only two on hundred people who are jumping into your store from a TikTok or an Instagram or from some ad that they saw online, they end up buying two, and ninety-eight are just dropping off. So that's the, that's literally the problem. I mean, there, there are of course many technical subcategories of that problem. I can get into it. Um, uh, but at, at a high level, that's, that's the biggest problem that's uh, plaguing the ecosystem today. When you look at Amazon, it's, they're actually getting 15 out of those 100 to buy. But when you are running your own regency store, the best that you're doing on a great day on probably Black Friday, you're getting two on 100 to buy, right? That's a massive gap. And that, that's that's the that's the number one problem in this space today.
2: The solutions that you provide are they focused just on the experience when somebody gets to that retailer's website, or are you looking at the broader ecosystem? And the reason why I ask is that I I think that there's um, different ways that people arrive at a retailer's website, and so are you involved in any of that larger ecosystem, or are you focused just on the retail website?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a great question and honestly speaking the if you you know speak to any retailer today and and speci- especially with privacy and you know cookie-less world it's a reality today you know it's super expensive to drive customers to your store so it doesn't matter which channel you're using you could be using a social channel you could be driving you know um, uh, customers via uh, email marketing or you could be driving customers via you know sms or whatever it is right it's all all of these channels are getting super expensive because of the whole privacy and cookie-less world that we are entering into um Um, And so the focus of that wider ecosystem has actually shifted to CAC is expensive. How do I make sure that I optimize my customer lifetime value? Right. So it doesn't matter how many customers you're driving. uh, There are tons of solutions out there who already solve for that problem, which is and a lot of it is your brand. Right. How do I how do I speak about my brand? Uh, You know, what content do I create? There's great playbooks out there. Right. Right. The gap is actually once I get customers to even engage with me, it's super expensive for me to get them to engage with me. But the minute they do, um, today, there's it's just broken. There's broken windows there. It's a super leaky funnel. Again, 2 100 versus 1,500 is like a huge gap for me to cover. right? And that's where... Um, uh, you know, especially from 20, you know, post pandemic world, uh, where privacy and uh, CAC are two very important questions out there. Um, You know, the focus of retail is shifting towards retention, shifting towards uh, customer lifetime value, shifting towards how do I make sure that my return on ad spend is as high as I can possibly can make it right. So ROAS and CLV are like, I think if you ping any D2C brand retailer, whoever, that, these are like two metrics that they did. People don't even talk about CAC because CAC's just shooting. Like we all know that's happening, right? I think it's the same for B2B, right, uh, Janelle? I mean, it's the it's same for everybody. Like it's super expensive to acquire um, uh, customers, even as traffic, forget customers, even to acquire traffic. The question is that, can we make that traffic actually me- meaningful? Can we convert that into something actionable? Um, so, so... Yes, over time, we do see growth as a more wider application and we do want to continue to help with growing your business. So a lot of it would definitely be how do you drive more traffic to your store? A lot of it would be how do you reactivate customers who have dropped off? So, you know, the upper part of your customer funnel and the end of your customer funnel. But today we focus on the middle part, which is the most leaky and which is, uh, you know, the, the problem of the moment, which is how do I get make sure my because of you know super high CAC, how do I make sure my ROAs and my CLVs are really you know making sense? It's making sense for me to be a sustainable business, right? So today at Mason, we solve for that. That's our that's our number one priority and focus.
2: Yeah. Okay. Love it. So I have a good sense of of what your business covers, and and um, now I'm curious. You know, uh, once you know, there's so many different types of retailers out there, you know this space way more than I do. Um, but I recognize that there's different types of buyers or different products. Um, How do you, how do you nail it? Where, where like what, you know, when, when somebody arrives on your website, whether that's the homepage or maybe a product detail page, like how do you, you know, get people to engage? How do you connect with them authentically? Like what's, what's the approach that, that you all take?
0: And, and it goes back and love that question because it goes back to what Amazon's doing well. Right. And I, I we have this very interesting, you know, chart a, a, at work and we, we look at it every day. It's, it's the Amazon promise, right? Like what are the things that Amazon helps you do? And, uh, of course there's your discovery right which is your the awareness part that we spoke about how do people discover products or brands and then there is the middle part of the funnel which is you know browse buy you know decide purchase right that that part of your funnel and then there is of course like you know your um uh, support fulfillment uh, uh you, you know uh, any kind of returns policies and you know that that fulfillment part so three major chunks uh, is what a typical Amazon, for example, does today. But when you zoom in and you look at it, the middle part, which is browse and buy, you know, decide and decide and uh, swipe your credit card, right? That's the part that's um, that is just brilliant in Amazon and elements. Uh, many different strategies and tactics you would you'd be very familiar with if you, if you have ever shopped on Amazon, things like you know, frequently bought together, things like here are recommended products based on what you've bought before. There are things like, uh, you know, customer uh, reviews. There are things like comparison. When you're browsing some products, you have like great comparison coming up. Um, in fact, something as simple as, do I understand the product specifications better? I mean, uh, Amazon uh, product details pages are amazing at explaining, you know, where even in the, in the, image carousel. you have all these like, uh these are the ingredients, uh, you know, this is how you use your product. This product's great for, for example, if it's electronics, it'll be like, hey, battery life XYZ versus if you're buying skincare, it'll talk about like the ingredients and you know, the origin and stuff, stuff like that. So lots of different strategies. But if you like the three primary, uh, you know, segments of these strategies, it's data driven merchandising. So it's not just merchandising, which is essentially super elemental to, uh, I think, retail merchandising is how do you package and talk about your product, right? How do you package that in the right way? Uh, So uh, everything from your materials to specifications to, uh, you know, ingredients to how you bundle it, like, for example, your pods go with the the iPhone, right? Like those, those are also great, super important elements of merchandising. But is it data driven? That's what Amazon nails. So it really nails Uh, The fact that different segments and different kinds of customers um, look for different reasons of why they buy. So they will always surface the information on the products that you're searching for in the right way, right, for you. So if I'm a value shopper and I'm looking for things which are, you know, uh, good prices and, uh, you know, great discounts and they work for me, uh, uh, all of that, like, am I getting good return on my money spent versus someone who's looking for probably, uh, uh, you know, uh, more about the brand or more about, uh, you know, performance, right? Like gamers, when they're looking for phones, they look for uh, performance versus I, I'll be looking for something else. So I think those are, that is merchandising, how do you package information about the product, but using data. Um, So data-driven merchandising is something that, you know, greats like Amazon or Walmart do really well. The second thing is sales and promotions. We all love a good deal, um, but lightning sales, I think we, we love that, right? On Amazon, you get this little lightning deal and it's just there for the next one hour and you're super excited and you actually take the decision to swipe out that credit card at that moment. So sales and promotions, but making it meaningful, uh different kinds of sales and promotions. Buy one, get X free, you know. So there are many different strategies there again, but Amazon really nails it at ensuring that it has the right kind of sales strategy and discounting and promotion strategy again for the right segment. And third, you know, fundamental uh, uh you know way that they have the browse and buy funnel is um uh is personalization so again for these different segments Recommended for me, frequently bought. If I'm buying X, people who bought this also buy these, right? So these are very simple, again, constructs, but you see that used amazingly um, for us to actually take decisions faster. For example, in certain segments, it's table stakes. As new parents, people really want to make sure they don't know what what to what goes with rash cream. So they need that, oh, diapers come with rash cream. Oh, I never thought of that, right? So it actually, it, it might seem like it's a way for people to buy more, but a lot of times based on the category, it's important for even c- customers to understand what goes along with that. Like for toys and baby care, Frequently bought together is a super important way for them to buy. They don't know otherwise. New parents don't know what products go well with each other. So, again, three primary things within the buy, uh, you know, and actual buy funnel, browse and buy funnel, is data-driven merchandising, awesome sales and promotions, exciting things that, you know, grab our attention and make us just tip over, and personalizing it based on our intent and our needs, right, and who we are as a customer segment. These are... When when you talk about these three elements, it sounds like such complicated infrastructural pieces, like, oh, data-driven merchandising or, you know, exciting sales and promotions. How do I even know uh, whether do I run a buy one, get one or a flash? I don't know what to do. Or And personalization, of course, for majority of the e-commerce, you know, retail world, that sounds like something which is so difficult. Like, what are the right segments? How do I understand? How do I test out what works for the right segments? So these are three things that, uh, you know, marketplaces like Amazon have. And that's the part that is really missing in the, um, when you talk to any retailer today, any young brand or even brands who are in 30, 40, 50 million in GMV who are running on a lean team of five or six people. This is the infrastructure that's very complicated and they don't know what to do. How do we implement it? There are great solutions out there, but they're more enterprise grade and um, most brands find it very, very difficult to implement it being a just five or 10 member team.
2: Got it. So a lot of the focus for you and your team is helping to address those three core needs, yeah. Like like you just mentioned. And what I find fascinating about all of those three, or those three needs, so the personalization, the sales and promotions, the data-driven merchandising, like a lot of getting that right requires you to like intimately understand who you're selling to and what's relevant to them. Like even your example of, parents, like with bundling products, like you have to know, or at least maybe you were a parent as you're building this product. But like, if you're not, how does some person on a product team who might have just entered their career, you know, um, really get to a place where they know that that's what the need is. And to me, like a big part of what we do at user testing is really understanding customers as people, as human beings, and not just big data, Um, so I guess my, my question being, how are you using, uh, customer understanding, I guess, to inform those strategies for your customers?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's two ways to about, led two parts to that, I think, problem. One is that, can we understand the segment deep enough, uh, to be able to, you know, do the right thing for that segment? So, um, For us, our sweet spot of customers in retail are teams who have found product market fit, but who are still small to medium. Uh, so we don't sell to enterprises um, but uh, the product is super useful for people who have some amount of product market fit and now want to invest on growing their business Uh, but within that there are tons of industries you are right like there's everything and within each industry there's like which segment are you selling to so even if it's fashion are you selling to you know young uh, uh, women women who are you know uh, just who's just started earning or elder women who are you know who are thinking about uh, starting a family there's so many sub segments even within that um so uh, th- so the two parts to that problem is one do we understand uh within our segment of you know brands that we sell to what are the industries and subcategories right and the other part of it is do we really need to answer everything or do we need to power empower our users right our teams our brands so that they can get understand their sec- their customers and do what's right for them. So a large part of it is, of course, data. Um, bringing data into one place is super important. Um, I think uh, a lot of times when uh, we'll talk about the internal problem first, which is how do we build the right products for our customer segments? Uh, a lot of times, um, you know, their p- data is living in many different places um so you have you know your customer success and all the support uh you know chats and the information that comes from them and the feedback that comes from them lying in one kind of a system and you have a product data in another kind of a system and um you of course have your marketing data lying in a different system you have crm data lying in a different system so i think one The biggest question is that how do you bring, you know, qualitative and quantitative data together into one view? Uh, That definitely starts becoming a very important part of how do you solve that problem. And I'm saying qualitative and quantitative because as you rightly said, you can't just look at dashboards and claim that you understand people. It's not how it works, right? Um, uh, it's it's the people. There's some person behind that number. And uh, when you're just looking at the number, you don't understand where that person came from, what was driving that motivation, what was the motivation, what was the intent, what was the goal, Right, all of those get lost in in your dashboards. Uh, so qualitative is super super important part of that, you know, balance keeping the balance. Um, so qualitative and quantitative data, everything coming together in one place is a super. I think that's that's the number one thing. Once you, even if you don't have everything in one place, once you know that there are different parts of. Like each user has this 360 degree view and you have data about that user lying in different systems, then you definitely can start solving for any new product person or any new person in the team who comes in and who starts looking at, hey, what do I need to do next? My answer to that is always first, let's try it. Can we try and understand where is that person today? Right. That's the step one. Understand where they are today. We'll always get more insights on what we got to do next. Right. So I think the first part uh, as an as a kind of answer in a way of to what the problem that you are talking about is first, we need to understand where each of our customers are, which is qualitative or quantitative. And I think the problem in product, uh, most uh, business and product teams today is that data lies in really multiple, you know, systems. And it's very easy for someone to say, Hey, just look at amplitude and, you know, you get the charts and you're good, but that's not, that's not the only place. Understanding the 360 degree of support and success and CRMs and your sales and marketing information also gets super important. And then the second part of it is now that we know that is the problem for us as a, as a product team, imagine it's the same for that single retailer out there. That person's struggling too. In fact, that's a five-member team. That's not a 30-member team. That's a bigger problem for him. And um, and we have sign ups Like a lot of times brands, when you are buying from brands, we check out as a guest. They probably don't have a lot of data either, right? And they're not data scientists. They're, they're brand builders. So can we simplify data for them too? uh so that uh, they can understand their users better.
2: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I also love how uh you talk about maybe empowering some of your customers to sort of continue that learning and understanding um and and get them sort of up to speed with with uh how to better understand customers in order to serve them, serve them well. Um I wanted to share another video. Um, we actually uh, talked to some online store owners, retailers, about um, why they love uh, what they do, as well as what some of their big challenges are. So I'd be curious to see how this resonates with you. Let's let's take a look.
0: Okay. So running my own store was the first thing that I really like about is that I can do it even when I'm so young.
1: What is the best part of running your own online store? Um, I would say the freedom and control that I have over my business operations. Um, I'm not really under a boss, so I can do whatever I want to.
0: Manage my own time, flexibility. Uh, basically, I'm my own boss.
1: I mean, I can work on it whenever I want, um additional additional stream of income, um, yeah, and mainly freedom. I would definitely say the easiest part of running um, an online e-commerce store is the fact that it is online and I can put my audience out to anybody versus being at a brick and mortar where people would only be able to see me in one location or not everybody would be able to reach me.
0: I would suggest for anyone that tries to do online stores on Shopify to really
1: research, uh, read. It's not as easy as it looks or as they portray it to be. It takes a lot of work and effort in the beginning. What are your three biggest challenges to running an online store? Um, Definitely um, really promoting your product. Um, That's like a huge thing. If you don't promote your product, then... Um, you're not going to get sales. Um, so I, I, that is a challenge, just trying to push it out. Uh, I think, you know, one of my biggest challenges was first just figuring out how exactly it all works and, you know, getting in contact with suppliers, um, researching the types of products that I might want to sell, uh, and then marketing and promoting. I feel like those were, uh, challenges.
0: I sometimes feel like my content is not being catered to the certain kind of audience that I want.
1: To me, it's to keep it alive, meaning that I have a schedule where I always have to uh, make new beats and have new products for people that's coming in, people that regularly buy my beats.
0: If I could wave a
1: magic wand, you know, I would wave the wand and and have more more traffic to the site, you know, with less um advertising cost and um better
0: conversion rate. You know, that would be that would be awesome. I think I think he summarized it. That's literally what we were just speaking about. Better ROAS and better CVR. That's that's yeah. That's yeah. That's literally the problem. And and I uh-huh. love uh, one point that the per, uh, one one person was making about keeping my store live. And I think it just shows that he's a little bit ahead um, on his journey of being a, a e-commerce brand or a retailer. Um, because once you solve the problem of where do I get the supply from. You know, what do I sell essentially? The Mm -hmm. question is that it's not just about what do I sell, but how do I continue to sell interesting things all the time? So, Mm -hmm. right promotions, you know, uh, uh, launching new products, all of that become a lash bar. I love hearing these uh, thoughts. It's always so exciting.
2: Yeah, it's great. You're solving a real need. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) It's great to be reinforced. It's always great to see it reinforced in person
2: though. (laughs) Yeah, I am sure. It's sort of like you're, you know, being able to sort of, um, you know, hear right from your target audience or customers that you would be helping exactly the problem that they're trying to solve and knowing that you have sort of a method and an approach to help them be successful. I'm sure that's super rewarding. Um, so we're going to move on to lightning questions. So lightning questions are, um, a series of questions that we ask everyone on the show. Um, so the first one is, um, what's a book that you've recently read that you'd recommend to our readers? Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a lot of different books uh, keep coming and going, but the mom
0: test actually just, I remember it because I was reading it on my way back from San Francisco to Toronto just uh, uh, yesterday. And, uh, it's, we tend to forget, uh, you know, being in the industry and being a product builder and you're kind of your heads down into doing things that you do for, I don't know, 16, 17 years. And then you read mom test and you're like, yeah stop with the jargons <laughs> if we can make simplify you know what you're talking about what you're building if you can simplify it um to the level that your mom can understand or your mom can see the value in it and i yeah i, I think i recommend it for everybody who's been building products who are heads down into the product side because a lot of times we're so into all of that the whole every day of building great products that we tend to forget that Sometimes it's about simplicity, so. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, lo- I love that. I love that idea of just sort of simplifying it for just uh, an average person to understand. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure some of that applies to when you're working and consulting with some of your customers, you know, helping them see how important it is to simplify language and offerings and, and all of that good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, so what's uh, one piece of advice that you would give to someone trying to convince others to invest in customer feedback? I Please do. <laughs> because uh, I am a strong, I mean, I love
0: data, but, you know, make it qualitative too. Don't just give me quants, right? Don't just give me dashboards. Because um, as, as we were already talking about during uh, the last question is that, It's not just about a single data point, but the person on this other side of the data and what are that person's, you know, needs and goals and what were they thinking that day? You know, how were they feeling that day? How were they feeling when they were doing that action or when they triggered that event in your workflow But that it's not just triggering an event that person's clicking on a button because he or she thought something. So I think that it's super important. Please invest in it. It gives you, sometimes it just gives you, you might cringe a lot when you're watching those videos or you're listening to them describe how they're feeling when they're doing things with your product. You'll cringe, but that's good. So please, you know, get, get into more conversations, direct, um, you know, watch your customers use your product, watch different kinds of customers use your product. It, it really opens your eyes.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, when you think about the future of e-commerce uh, and some of the things that you're working on and thinking about every day, uh, what are you most excited about?
0: That's a great question. There's so many things. Um, I think the one thing that excites me the most is that Everything's becoming super interactive. It's a two-way, it's a communication now. It's not just a one-way buy anymore. Every oh. time they're, you know, interacting with you as a brand or with your products, uh, they're also giving you signals. People are giving you reviews. People are dropping in information about how they feel about it. But the very fact that they, you know added something to their cart, but did not buy. Why? Right. That's, that's a, that's a, that's an insight right there. Um, and commerce is becoming more and more interactive uh, in the real world. It's easier uh, to get that to and fro, but online now with quizzes and with, you know, uh, more, uh, you know, kind of sections within your app that uh, people can, you know, give you information of how they feel or they can drop in some nuggets about if um, you lead them into answering in a way the question of how they're feeling or who they are. Again, I would say user testing, but applied to e-commerce in some way. Uh, but that, that's the the future of commerce is interactivity. Uh, people uh, are not looking at websites. It's just like Craigslist that you just scroll and you buy from, but actually living, breathing almost like micro apps that they love to interact with. They want to play with, and they want to, you know, uh, uh, kind of connect with right uh, so a lot of uh the future of e-commerce is going to be about interactions about back and forth information flow and um across channels so composability becomes super important um it's not just going to be on a website or an app but it's on social it's on chat it's everywhere right so composable commerce um with a lot of focus on interactivity like back and forth is is where the future of commerce is headed and super excited about that
2: yeah, it is exciting to think about that future and, and, and what, what that will be like, um, for us and for future generations. Uh, thank you so much, Kaus, for joining us on the Human Insight podcast. This has been really fun to, to chat with you about, you know, your perspective on e-commerce, um, the solution that you're providing at Mason and, uh, the importance of bringing the customer along in everything you do. So thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much for having me. And I love those little videos. Uh, uh, You know, I think that just made my day. It gave me, reminded me about why we're doing what we're doing. So thanks for that.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend or coworker. If you think it could have been better, let us know. Email us at podcast at usertesting.com. Thanks.